Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us grace now in this moment. Uh, Lord God, we uh, need your help to be attentive to your word. There are many elements against us in this moment. I pray that they might, in your mercy, settle down for the next half hour and uh, help us, Lord, to listen to your word. Father, I pray that you'd help me teach it faithfully as I should and help us all to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, if life was a board game, what would the rules be and who would be the winners? Uh, I'm not... Uh, if there is one game that has tried to answer that question, it would surely be this game. Don't worry about that. The game of life. Has anyone played this before? Yes. Uh, I'll let that blow away now. Um, I'm not sure if you've played the game of life before, uh, but we loved playing that game in my family growing up. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the game of life, players compete against each other to have as many positive life experiences as they can, and ultimately to make as much money as they can before retirement. For every positive uh, life experience, you get a life tile, so that could be from getting married, having kids, going on holidays, and in order to make money in the game of life, you will usually try and go through college so that you can be better placed to achieve a high-paying career card. The game of life objective is, and I quote from the rules, to collect money and life tiles and have the highest dollar amount at the end of the game. See, the game of life ends with everyone retiring to either millionaire estate or country acres and counting up their pennies. The player with the most cash at the end of it all is the winner. Now personally, I think the, the game of life is a pretty fair representation of what our world sees as the smart approach to life. Securing your future through getting rich. Those who retire with the most wealth, well, they are the winners. But maybe uh, you noticed in our psalm tonight that God is saying something different. God is saying that to be a winner in the real game of life, you don't need wealth, but wisdom. And you see it there in verse 20 at the end of the psalm. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Not wealth, but wisdom. And the wisdom God is giving you in this psalm says that if you want a truly secure future, one that actually extends beyond retirement into eternity, then you need to trust in God, not wealth. The real winners in the real game of life are going to be those who listen to God's wisdom here and trust him alone. So what I want to do throughout this talk is to look at the two ways to play the game of life kind of according to this psalm. Well, first we'll look at the way of wealth and then the way of wisdom. But before we look at those two ways, I want to think about for a moment who this psalm is actually written for. Uh, in verse 1, this psalm tells us that unlike many other psalms, it, it's not addressed to just God's people but the world at large. Uh, notice that that's, it, this isn't just a message for Israel but for everyone. Verse 1, hear this, all peoples, all who live in the world, both low and high, rich and poor, my mouth will speak words of wisdom, 
The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. See, God's life-giving wisdom in Psalm 49 is for everyone to hear. And that's why it's fitting in many ways that we're doing the service outside today. Because this is a message for the world beyond the confines of our church. God wants all people, low and high, rich or poor, to hear the truth that the truly secure life is not found in trusting in wealth, but in trusting him. And it's clear from the outset that our psalmist feels that he has true security in life. See, the question he asks in verse 5 kind of smacks of a fearless confidence in the face of all sorts of uncertainty, trouble and attack. Verse 5, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? See, these are the words of someone who knows his future is secure, even in the face of uncertainty and threat. Wouldn't you want to be able to say that? Now, he'll tell us the reason why he's so confident shortly, but for the moment, he simply wants to show us why he's not going to play the game of life according to the way of wealth, like those who trust in and boast of their great wealth. So let's think about his reasons for not playing the game of life in the way of wealth. Uh, in the eyes of the world, wealth is a great source of confidence for people. This is reflected strongly in the board game, Game of Life, but the psalmist notes it here too. Notice how he speaks of people trusting and boasting in their wealth, verse 6. Notice how he speaks of others praising those who prosper, verse 18. Our world loves, in many senses, the way of wealth. And it's not hard to understand why. Money gives us stuff. We see it giving us food, clothing. It puts a roof over our head. Money lets us go on holidays, buy a house. And as we've thought about already, secure a nice retirement. So why is it foolish to trust in our wealth when it appears to give us so much? Because there's one thing that money can't buy, this psalm tells us. Life beyond death. So you look at what the psalmist says in verse 7. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that they should live on forever and not see decay. See, wealth can rescue you from a lot of life's problems, debt, car repairs, medical expenses, but it can't rescue you from the biggest problem of all, which is death. We can't buy God off to get out of death, no payment is ever, enough, uh, is ever enough. For death, according to the Bible, is the consequence of human rebellion to God, sin. And sin is infinitely offensive to God. So imagine uh, the debt you would be in if you rear-rented a Ferrari in this car park and you had no insurance. The price tag for that damage, you'd have to imagine, if there was a bit of damage done, would be huge. But sin's more serious than that. Sin is to offend the infinitely more valuable, holy God. We have robbed God of the glory he deserves, and we must pay the costly price of our lives. We are trapped in an unpayable debt to God. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment 
whether money, good deeds, or whatever we offer is ever enough. The big thing that money can't buy is life itself. But most of us actually long for life to keep going, don't we? We wish we could live on forever and not see decay. That's why we spend money on anti-aging creams and, and pills and diets. Uh, we don't like the effects of aging and mortality and we fight against it. I used to work in an eye clinic uh, where Botox injections were performed and let me tell you, it's not a comfortable process from what I saw. But many of us will go through it in order to simply delay the signs of decay as long as we can. We might delay death, but we can't stop it. And we need to remember that in this time of COVID-19 too. I mean, isn't it great that we've had over two weeks of zero cases? But wouldn't it be terrible for people to reach the wrong conclusion that human smarts, power, wisdom and wealth can actually prevail in the face of disease and death. See, we might delay things, might delay death, but we can't stop it. And that's the big message of verse 10 in your Bibles. For all can see that the wise die, the foolish and the senseless also perish. No one avoids death. That is why this psalm is actually addressed to everyone living in the world, verse 1. It comes to movie stars like Sean Connery. It comes to a no-name beggar in the CBD. It will come to me. It will come to you. And what of our wealth then? What will become of all the things that we have worked hard for throughout life to achieve? Well, it simply gets left to others, verse 10. We take nothing with us when we die, verse 11, uh, 17. See, many of us, I think, live our lives chasing the Aussie dream of owning our own home. Uh, if we can own our own home and have it paid off, I think a lot of Aussies would think we've made it. Haven't we secured our future? Well, the psalmist actually says no. Because the vast expanse of our future will not be spent in the dwelling of our house, but of our tomb. See, look at what he says in verse 11. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named land after themselves. See, in the real game of life, things don't end at retirement. You don't live forever at millionaire estate or country acres. In the real game of life, things end in death. And all your wealth and earthly security doesn't change that. Verse 12, people despite their wealth do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. Now this verse where it says the beasts that perish, it's not telling us that death for humans is just like the death of an animal where we just simply cease to exist. What it is is a picture of utter hopelessness. And actually, the rest of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, makes it very clear that unlike the animals, humans have a soul, and our soul will have to face our Creator after death. And you see, that's what is actually quite frightening for many of us when we give ourselves to thinking about death, the thought that our rejection of God and refusal to live His way will be brought to account in an eternal judgment. 
But that is what the Bible tells us. Hebrews 9.27 tells us just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. See, death is by far the biggest problem we face. It comes to all and it actually taints all of life. Death robs a husband of a wife, children of parents, friend of friend. And then one day, death robs us of our life. The psalmist is pleading with us here to see the false security that is bound up in wealth. We often put our trust in wealth because of all the good promises we think it gives us. The promise of future security, of control, the promise of happiness, the promise of status, but actually death destroys every one of those promises. You see, it destroys, it destroys the promise uh, of, uh, it destroys the promise of security because we absolutely, we have no, sorry, the, my notes have just blown various spots. It strips us of our happiness. It strips us of our dignity. The status, our status slowly disappears as people forget us. Death destroys happiness as we grieve the loss of friends and family who have gone before us, and we worry about the loss of our own life. Death destroys the idea of control, for our lives could be taken away in a moment. It destroys the idea of security, for wealth is powerless to save our eternal soul. Death destroys all the promises of wealth. And we actually see that in the parable of the rich fool. You might remember it. It's the story of a rich landowner who had a bumper crop one year. In fact, he had so much grain that he didn't really quite know what to do with it all. He he then gets the idea to tear down his barns, build bigger barns, and then store all that surplus grain for himself. And remember what he says in that parable. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. And be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And you see, I think in the eyes of the world, this guy in that parable wouldn't have been considered a fool but wise. You see, he makes the wise business choice that increases his wealth. He works hard, I assume, to help build some of those new barns, and he's well prepared for retirement. He plays the game of life in the way of wealth according to the wisdom of the world. But he's actually like those in verse 6 who trust in their wealth, boast of their great riches. And in playing the game of life in the way of wealth, that guy actually loses. He learnt the hard way that wealth, for all its feelings of security and confidence, cannot actually save us from the biggest problem of all, which is death. He needed a better confidence in God. And you see, that parable and and this psalm are God's big don't-let-that-be-you passage in Scripture. Uh, There's an old poem uh, about death that some throughout history have supposedly written on their tombstones for others to read as they pass by. So I want you to imagine walking through a cemetery and you pause and you read this on the tombstone. Remember, friend, as you walk by, 
As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you will surely be. So prepare yourself to follow me. Are you prepared for death? Uh, most of us are preparing in some way to secure our future. And that's why some of you who are students are studying so hard. You want to get that job that will guarantee a good and stable income. Uh, some of you are preparing to buy your first home. Some of you might be preparing and looking ahead to your retirement. And it's actually good to prepare for your future. But what about your eternal future? Do you feel prepared for that? If this very night, your life was demanded from you, where do you think you'd go? You see, we need more than wealth to give us confidence to answer that question, don't we? We need God's wisdom. And that's what we get in this psalm and particularly in the verses that follow. So let's think of that second point, the way of wisdom. The psalmist now starts to show us that there is a right way to play the real game of life. A right way to secure a future in which death will not be the end of you. Now, it doesn't come through trusting in the power of wealth to save, but trusting in the power of God to save. This is the life-giving way of wisdom. See, look at where the psalmist's confidence lies in verse 15. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Now we get the answer to the psalmist's fearless confidence back in verse 5. It's God. He's convinced that whatever the world throws at him, even his very life, if that's taken from him, his future is secure through his trust in God. For God will redeem him from the grave and take him to God's side. This guy has confidence in the real game of life because he knows a hope beyond the grave. And he wants you to know that hope too. That's why in verses 13 to 15, he vividly contrasts the life-giving wisdom of trusting in God with the hopelessness of trusting in wealth. Just read with me from verse 13. This is the fate of those who trust themselves and of their followers who approve of their saying. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. That is, they'll see the light of another day. Or their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions, but God will redeem my life from the dead. He will surely take me to himself. See, do you feel the contrast he's making here? It's like he's saying, do you want that ghastly figure of death as your shepherd for eternity, making sure you never stray from eternal darkness and condemnation? Or do you want God to be your good shepherd, who keeps you in his goodness and his love forever? Or do you want to spend a few years in the princely mansions of verse 14, a few weary years spent in millionaire estate or country acres? Or do you want to be redeemed from death beyond retirement and brought into a paradise with God that is infinitely better than the mansions of this world? God, not wealth, truly secures your future. And in telling us that God is the one who redeems us from the realm of the dead, the psalmist actually shows us how we are freed from that hopeless situation of verse 8, which made it clear that none of us can give God a ransom for our life. For the ransom of a life is costly, we are told. No payment's ever enough. 
See, in verse 15, it says that God pays the costly ransom that God requires for a life to be redeemed. That's the implication. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus, the Son of God, is that costly ransom. Jesus tells us that he came for the very purpose of being that ransom. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the debt of our sin by dying the death we deserved at the cross. The infinitely huge offense of our rebellion and sin towards God was forgiven, paid for by the infinitely costly sacrifice of Jesus' death. We are redeemed, set free from death and sin by the Son of God giving up his life. When we put our trust in Jesus, who God raised from the dead, we, like the psalmist here, are putting our trust in God. And we, like the psalmist, can look forward to that day beyond death when God will redeem us from the realm of the dead. What is the way of wisdom for the real game of life? It's Jesus. True wisdom is found in trusting God's crucified and risen Saviour. As, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, it's because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. The life-giving wisdom of Psalm 49 is fulfilled in Jesus. And you see, when you trust Jesus over wealth, you, you actually have a, real, a reason for real confidence. You will live in light of a truly secure future. That's why the psalmist finishes by saying in verse 16, do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases. Another translation is do not fear when others grow rich. And I actually think that's, that's helpful because it captures the idea of fear because we can easily fear when we see others prospering before us. We can fear that we are being left behind. It's uh, quite like the board game in many ways. Uh, you see others progressing further along the board than you, snapping up the higher paying jobs instead of you, enjoying all the life experiences instead of you, securing a position at millionaire estates instead of you. And you fear, you worry that you're not as secure as perhaps you could be. Another dad in our neighbourhood invited me into his backyard uh, last week to show me what he was working on in his house. And he was speaking of his plans for future renovation and the possible sale of another property that he owned. And I'll be honest, part of me uh, started thinking in the way of wealth in that moment and started to feel that little bit of fear creep in, that worry that I'm not as secure as I could be. Maybe if I had been smarter delayed Bible college for a few extra years, I could be a homeowner too. Maybe I'd be more financially secure, better off. The psalmist is saying, when you play the real game of life, according to God's way of wisdom, not the way of wealth, you actually don't have to fear that you're missing out in a bigger sense. You see, if you have Jesus... You have the one thing you truly need, the one thing that will truly last, eternal life, resurrection life. 
As Jesus has been raised from the dead, so you will be raised from the dead through your trust in him. Verse 16, do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increase, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them, though while they lived, though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. You see, wealth might secure a nice home, some some nice holidays, a comfortable retirement, but only Jesus secures your soul, now and for eternity. If we play the real game of life, uh, if we play the real game of life with wealth as our god and our goal, then we actually lose eternally. If we play the game of life with Jesus as our god and as our goal, we win eternally. Verse 20, people who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Uh, This psalm has reminded us there there are two ways that we can play the real game of life, the way of wealth or the way of wisdom. But only one way brings life in the face of death. So which way do you think you're playing? Who, are you tr- who or what are you trusting in? Now, maybe there are some of you listening tonight who know that financial security, wealth, is kind of the big thing that drives your life and gives you that sense of security. Maybe you're someone who thinks a lot about your financial security, but little about your eternal security. Uh, maybe you're a student who knows how horrible it is to be poor, stuck in crummy accommodation with crummy housemates, eating instant noodles every night. And maybe you view that good paying job beyond uni, in some sense, as a saviour. Maybe wealth will give you that life that you want. Or maybe you're a bit older and, and you're quite well off. Maybe you own a property or a couple of properties and you've got a good amount of super and because of those things, you think, actually life's pretty well, thanks. I'm feeling pretty secure. Now, owning property and getting a good job, they're not bad things. In fact, often they're quite good things to to have in life. But it's when they become so valued, so trusted in your life, that God kind of becomes unnecessary for you. It's that attitude that says, I'm actually doing pretty well on my own. I don't quite think I need God like others might need him. But see, this psalm has shown you that you do need God. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. You need Jesus to ransom you from the bondage of death. You need him to forgive your sin. You need him to give you a truly secure future that I'm sure you want. If you want to know more about Jesus, I'd invite you to come and chat. I'm always happy to have a Jesus conversation. In fact, towards the end of last year, one of my elderly neighbours, who knew I was a Christian, uh, came and asked me if I would actually help her prepare for what's on the other side of death. Has anyone else got that question? I had never got that question before that. Um, But it was great. We talked about Jesus. We looked at John 11, resurrection and the life, and it was a great conversation that I think gave her some good confidence going forward as she thought about her eternity. 
And you see, asking to know more about Jesus and life beyond death isn't a silly question. It's not an awkward question that we're going to be freaked out about. It's an important, important and wonderful question that I and many other Christians would love to chat with you about. But what about those of you who, perhaps like the psalmist, have chosen to put your trust in God, in his saviour Jesus, and not in wealth? Well, I think this psalm is an encouragement for you to keep playing the game of life in the way of wisdom, putting your trust in Jesus for life beyond death. And I think we need to help each other in this. You see, the mainstream viewpoint of the world that we live in is far less like Psalm 49 and far more like the Game of Life board game. It's a viewpoint that says wealth is big and God, Jesus, they're small. And even for those of us who know that eternal life is bound up in Christ, it's sometimes hard not to be influenced by that message when it comes at us in our jobs, in our unis, in our everyday life. But we need to be a community that reminds each other that Jesus is big and wealth in an eternal sense is small. See, Christians do things that shock the way of wealth. We give away our money to support ministries within church or missionaries overseas. Sometimes we reduce work hours to teach the gospel to other members of the church. Some, some of us actually quit stable jobs or reduce the days that we work to do traineeships or, or go to Bible college. See, none of these things actually make a lot of sense to the way of wealth. But they do make sense if indeed Christ has died and risen again to bring life to those who trust him. And one of the things my dad has loved to do over the years at um, family get-together lunches uh, is towards the end of lunch to stand up, get our attention, and give little speeches at the end of the meal. And in his speech, he'll talk about the joy that he has in knowing that each one of his children are Christian. You see, as dad has told us at many different times, it's not our career choice that gives him joy. It's not our choice of home or car that gives him joy it's our trust in Jesus because dad knows that only Jesus can raise his kids from the dead see the world often praises the way of wealth but Christians praise the way of wisdom in a world that prizes wealth we need the, to hear the encouragement of our brothers and sisters telling us how wise and good it is to keep trusting in the one who can give us life in the face of death. Uh, at the end of the service, we'll be singing, Be Thou My Vision. And this song is really a prayer for us that Christ would become our vision, our focus in life, our source of confidence. And notice when we sing it later on in the, the third verse, it says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. And those words are true, aren't they? We don't need riches or man's praise if we've got Jesus. Because he is our riches. He saves us from death into a true inheritance that can never perish, spoil 
or fade. That is the beauty of the way of wisdom God gives us in Psalm 49. I'll pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your great mercy, uh, the Lord Jesus has become our ransom for us, Lord. Thank you that he came as a ransom for many, and in giving up his life, uh, brought about our forgiveness and our life forever with you. Father, please help us to trust him. Please keep us and our hearts from falling to the way of wealth, but help us to keep walking in the way of wisdom. In trust of Jesus. Amen.